here, OTAs, day number three on the south side in Mr. Rooney's backyard. It's the Steelers Blitz on SNR. Tom Opperman filling in for Arthur Motes here on a Thursday. This is our last Blitz show of the week down here on the south side. But a reminder, we're with you until 1 o'clock. And then it's Dale Lolly and Matt Williamson with the drive. They will drive you out of here on our first week of OTA's coverage. Uh, two more weeks after this, every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, for the next two weeks, uh, you've got us here six hours of live programming on site at the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex on SNR. Nobody covers your Steelers like we do on the 24-7 home of the Black and Gold Steelers Nation Radio. Tom, Wes. let's talk a little bit about Andy Weidel here. All right? You know, I... I, I from my hometown, Mount From Lebanon. your hometown of Mount Lebanon. And, you know, of course, it, it's always nice. You know this. Uh, most of our listeners know this by now. You know, I spent three years working for the Eagles radio network in Philadelphia. Right. So, you know, when the Eagles signed Javon Hargrave a couple years ago, when the Eagles signed Steven Nelson last year, those guys out there are always picking my brain, you know, texting me, going on the shows to talk about those guys and what they're bringing. So I obviously did the same thing, um, you know, over the last 48 hours or so, talking to some of my, my old Philly connections, and they are all gutted that he's leaving the organization. They all speak so highly of Andy Weddle. They think he's been a huge part of the, the rosters that they've built there in Philadelphia. And, and really, you know, over the last four or five years in Philly, they've won playoff games. They've won a Super Bowl. They've been in contention just about every single year except for the last year of Doug Peterson there. Made the playoffs last year in their, their first year with Nick Sirianni. Um, and when you look at the rosters that they've assembled, there's always been a lot of talent there. And, and and they all said they made money moves this offseason too. They all Brandon said hey, AJ Brown. Howie Roseman deserves credit. Right. But it's but it's a you know, it's a it's a very good working relationship there. And so that's one of those things that I always look for is when when someone leaves one organization to go to another, right. what's the response like from the organization that they're leaving? And and like I said, in Philadelphia they're they understand why, right? I mean, he's going back to his he's hometown. Stuck, too. He's the, stuck there, too. For, like, for the, he's, he's not nowhere to move up. Right. They're not going to get rid of They're Roseman. not getting rid of yeah. Howie Roseman anytime soon. He's got the Kevin Colbert, you know, going to be there for a while thing going on. But that, to me, always speaks volumes, is when, you know, when people are very sad to see you go, I mean, that means that you, you left the place better than you found no, it. No, absolutely. You want to take from other organizations valuable commodities and bring them under your own umbrella, and that's exactly what the Steelers are doing here with Weidel, and... Yeah, I love the fact that those guys are, are upset about it and wish that the Eagles could have found a way to you know, maybe carve out a position for him or give him somewhat of a promotion, but they mm -hmm. didn't. They couldn't, and the Steelers have an assistant GM job that they offered him, and he's going to take it in the, the next couple of days. It's, uh, I, you know, it's it's a, we were talking about how it's great to you know hire from within, and Bradco kind of brought up a good point that the Steelers have been kind of doing both things. They've kind yeah. of had their feet in both waters there. Where the Brian Flores internal was great that was great. Him. Yeah, yeah. That, you know they bring Terrell Austin up internally at DC, and then they bring in Brian Flores to help with the defense as well, a defensive assistant coach. And then same thing here. You know, uh, yeah, Weidel's got the local connection, but he cut his teeth. You know, initially mm -hmm. here, but mm -hmm. Baltimore, and then really in Philadelphia is where he established himself around the league as yeah. a as a guy. They hadn't won a Super Bowl until he got there. That's a really good point, and you got to wonder, you know, Roseman's good, but you got to wonder if maybe the Eagles are letting their next guy go just to keep the guy that they have currently. you got to make tough decisions, and, and I, I think that's too tough of a decision for them to make, so I think the Steelers kind of got lucky there. But, sure, sure. But back to my point, you know, 
it's good to have this balance of, yeah, you bring Omar Khan up through your ranks, and then you go out and get someone really well-respected on another team's front office and bring him into the fold. I like this, you know, oh, you want us to do externally? Oh, you want us to only do internally? Well, screw you all. We're going to do both. Right. And you want to know the best part, too, is is I think a lot of people know that Andy Weidel is obviously familiar with the Steelers growing up here. Mount Lebanon superstar, you know, just like Tom himself here. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and a guy that... That is, you know, again, that's the those are the kind of things, the behind the scenes, the connections, that stuff. It, it feels like um, it, it does nothing but help because, again, you've got to, in these type of jobs, you've got to be able to hit the ground running. You know, the Steelers, obviously, I think we would all be surprised, Tom, if there wasn't still some type of change to the roster. Right. I mean, it, it always happens throughout the summer in training camp. I mean, in training camp last year, they brought in Joe Schobert. Right? right. I mean, they've, they've done that many times. I'm not talking something absolutely drastic, but, you know, if they bring in another running back at some point, I don't think that would surprise us. If they bring in another defensive lineman at some I, point, I, think, I don't think, I think that another would surprise running back us. is coming in. Yeah. At some point, by the way. I think so, too. And if you look at the, you know, some of the free agent crop that's still out there, there is a, a nice group of veterans there as well, too. Um, I think maybe even. And I know that they've done a lot of adding at the position over the last month or so with, with the draft and, and Miles Boykin, but I think a veteran receiver wouldn't surprise us as well, too. You know, defensive lineman maybe, depending on what's going on with Stephon Tuitt. Um, there's there's going to be more decisions made as it relates to this roster. There always are. That's why you always hear the Steelers talking about needing that salary cap cushion so that when you have the opportunity to go get a Joe Schobert or a Joe Hayden, like the way that those situations played out in the, you know, the, the preseason time of the year, you, you're all on the same page and you're able to go do that. And for anybody that had reservations about Omar Khan, maybe on the player scouting side of things, player personnel side of things, this eases their, their doubts because that's this is where he's the master. You know, we said that Khan is the wizard when it comes to the cap. Mm -hmm. He's the, the expert capologist around the league he's respected in that aspect Weidel is rising up the ranks as far as being respected as far as you know building a roster and player personnel and player evaluation is concerned and you mentioned you know the Eagles didn't win a Super Bowl until Weidel showed up what has been their biggest strength positionally since that Super Bowl it's got to be off in the trenches O-line right? and D-line that's where they've they, guess, they've been great guess where the Steelers need the most help that's a you know that's a great point in by the trenches you. that's a great so point I, by you got the I think they've got one of the best guys at building up they, a trench. They won that Super Bowl because they had arguably the best offensive line of football that they year. They did. I mean, that line and, was And their defensive line was insane, too. Their offensive line was so good that Nick Foles was able to bring up the Super Bowl. Like, they, they were able to give a second-string quarterback five seconds back there to mm -hmm. make go through his read. Mm -hmm. So I think you got the right guy in the right place for your biggest need, but also then beyond that. I mean, he can obviously evaluate talent in other positions, too. But sure. you just got to love what he did in both the, the defense and offensive lines for Philadelphia. Hopefully he can carry that over here to Pittsburgh. Obviously not instantly, but over the next couple of years. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. That's a really good point that you bring up is kind of what have we been talking about a lot for the Steelers? Well, we've been talking about run defense. Where does that start in the trenches? We've been talking about running the football. Where does that start in the trenches? Those were two things. That, you know what, honestly, his time with the Ravens as well, too. You know, he was he was part of that front office when Baltimore won the Super Bowl in 2012 when they beat uh, John Harbaugh and, and, the, and the Niners down in New Orleans in that Super Bowl where the lights went off and we had that, <laughs> right. we had the, that del delay. We had that delay. Um, those Baltimore teams as well, too, they could run the football. They could stop the run. They were strong in the trenches. I think you got to be encouraged. You know, this guy has had – to, you know, he was with the Saints organization, like I like we mentioned, but that was obviously he was cutting his teeth. He was a lower level scout, right. I think, at that point. But significant impact on the Baltimore Ravens, significant impact on the Eagles. He won Super Bowls with both of those teams, uh, Baltimore in 2012, the Eagles in that 17-18 season. Uh, and he, you know, I think clearly as well too, Tom. 
you know, you're right in the sense of like there was there's the Howie Roseman thing there in Philadelphia and, and a guy who was was very secure in his job and probably isn't going anywhere for a while or at least until he wants to. Right. Um, but I got to think there was there had to be some lure for him to come back to the Steelers, to his hometown organization, to his hometown. Um, I'm sure ever since he left the organization in 2000, that this was probably something he's always been keeping an eye on. And, and he gets the opportunity and jumps at it. I think for all those reasons, you've got to be excited about this this tandem that, that the Steelers are bringing in. Well, you know, Omar Khan from internal and Andy Weidel from, from external. Yeah, and, and who really knows how long Weidel will be here because sure. he, he's clearly climbing up the totem pole. The Steelers have three, four, five good years. He might be right. running a, a team himself. And that that's this is the next step for him. I think that's why, you know, getting that title assistant GM was so attracted to him or so attractive to him because – you know, that's that next step away from finally getting that general manager job. So uh, I honestly think that the goal would be for the Steelers to have a really successful three or four years, especially as far as building their roster up through free agency and through drafts, that he just prizes himself out of town and he becomes a general manager somewhere else. You yeah. know? And obviously, I'm also assuming that if you have so much success, you're not going to move on from Omar Khan because he's at the in the catbird seat Absolutely. while you have all this success. Absolutely. but. Yeah, I, I think that Weidel isn't, you know, some guy that you can expect to just be in Pittsburgh now for the rest of his career. I, I think this is a, a general manager in the near future as far as the NFL is concerned. But it's it's one of those things. But you got to climb up that totem pole. You know, you and I were laughing. You're a Pitt guy. I'm a WVU guy. We were laughing. You know, a lot of times when, when schools make hires, right, like when, when, when Pitt hired Pat Narduzzi, oh, well, if he comes here and does really well, isn't he just going to go back to Michigan State? That's a good problem to have. Yeah, you if, want if, that. If, if five years from now, Andy Weidel is taking the GM job of the Las Vegas Raiders, yeah. that means he did a really good job here in Pittsburgh. That means you had some success here. That that would be a good thing. Absolutely. You, you obviously don't want to lose any great people to sure, other organizations, sure. but that's just the nature the of the business. The winning organizations are the ones that lose people. How many players give you the cliche, it's a business, whenever that you know one of their teammates mm-hmm. gets traded or one of their teammates gets cut. It's the same way with coaching. You, know, this, you can't just expect somebody to stay in a secondary role when he's had the success that warrants him getting that general manager job. And I have to imagine that in two, three years from now, because we expect him to do a phenomenal job mm-hmm. here because he's done a phenomenal job everywhere else he's been. And it's not like he's jumping into the Lions now all of a sudden. Right, he's still right, in a really right. good organization. I fully expect him to be, you know, NFL Network, Tom Pelissero reporting, Andy Weidel, lead candidate for Saints, for Ly- for all these jobs. Right, like, right. That's, that's coming sooner New York rather Jets. than later. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Like, you want that to be the thing. You can't. You can't live in your fears, Wes. Like, you can't be like, oh, should we, should well, we hire this guy, this guy because he might become years. so good that he leaves. Like, you, you can't do that. you got to operate in the here and now. Get the best and in the here and now, I don't know if you have a better uh, assistant GM out there that a team could boast then, Weidel. He's he's near the top of the list. Certainly the track record is there. Super Bowl in Baltimore, Super Bowl in Philadelphia. Super Bowl in Pittsburgh. The Mount Lebanon kid hopefully comes back to win another one or a couple. For his hometown team, wouldn't that? I mean, hey, uh, not a couple because the second he wins one, he's the GM somewhere you, else. You know what's better than one, Tom? Uh, two. <laughs> you know what's better than two? Three. Three. <laughs> well, let's get that stairway to seven first, and then we'll go from there. Tom Offerman, Wesley Euler. You know, I mentioned how Tom is a pit guy. He is a pit football season ticket holder. He's a diehard, folks. Him and his dad go into all the games, so he's seen five years of Kenny Pickett now. So I would be remiss if I didn't pick Tom's brain about the Steelers' first-round draft pick as somebody who watched him for the last five years up close and personal. We'll do that when we return on the other side. A reminder, in the noon hour, Miles Jack, Mason Cole, going to sit down with us right here. So plenty more to get to. It's the Steelers' Blitz on SNR. (laughs) 
And Matt Williamson will take over with the drive from 1 until 4 p.m. Uh, we will um, do our best to, uh, to keep you updated with our guests and, and, and everything like that. Uh, we will have Mason Cole join us. We will have Miles Jack join us both in the noon hour. Um, so make sure you're standing by for that, certainly. I do want to take some time here, though. Tom Opferman, for those of you who might have joined us late, is in for Arthur Motes today. He hosts the Steelers Standard. Make sure you're checking him and Jacob Recht out there on SNR, wherever you get your podcasts as well, too. Tom, one of the biggest Pitt fans I know. I, I, I'm, I'm being completely honest when I say that. Everybody here on the show knows that I'm a WVU guy, all right? So when I'm, when I'm giving props to a proper Pitt fan, you know I really mean it. Tom's season ticket holder. He's emotionally and financially invested yes. in his Pitt Panthers. Uh, so with that, obviously, the last five years, you have had a, a quite the look at Kenny Pickett. You know, four games he started, I believe, at the end of that first year. And then for Beat four, Miami. For four, yes, yes, that, the famous uh, Miami second in the nation coming to Heinz Field and having their playoff hopes ruined. Um, and then Pickett, you know, for four years after that was the guy after after starting uh, the last few games there in that first year. So, Tom, um, let's start here. A lot of, you know, a, a lot of the talk around Kenny Pickett leading up to the process of the draft was how NFL ready he is. Is that something that strikes you as a guy who's ready to go week one? If, if, you know, if things do go well for him here over the next couple months, or do you still think you've got Mitch Trubisky? It's, it's you know, when you've got the guy, it's always smart to potentially let someone sit. You know, Mahomes did it. Josh Allen did it. It's, it's worked out well for, for a lot of these teams. Where do you kind of come down on, you know, his ability to slide in right away and, and play on Sundays? I think he's ready. I really do. I think, you know, you start 40-plus games in college. That is crazy. You're, you're in a, an area that's very rare as far as a college recruit is concerned. Or, or a college prospect coming into the NFL is concerned. You just don't have that much experience. Like you said, he started those four games as a freshman, got the big win, and then he was the starter ever since, you know, sophomore, junior, and then the two years uh, as a senior, one of them being the COVID year. So, you know, I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be ready. I actually think it would kind of be a little bit of a red flag if he doesn't win the job out. Um, uh, not to say that, you know, they're not just going to make Trubisky the starter anyway. And sure, sure. It's not like, oh, Trubisky – you know, is just automatically going to be the backup. But I'm saying, like, if he – if it's not Trubisky and Pickett both play well so they just give it to the guy who's got more experience, if it's Pickett just isn't good enough to take the job, then I, I think you have to worry big time about it because I do I do think he's the, – the, the labeling of him as the most NFL-ready quarterback in this draft class I think is absolutely appropriate. And you think back to – Last year, who was the most NFL-ready, Mac Jones mm -hmm. out of Alabama. Pickett started like double the amount of games <laughs> that Mac Jones did. Crazy. Now Mac Jones is playing in the Alabama and SEC defenses. but And Pickett you know, had a little – some soft defenses this year, I'm not going to lie. But the one game that I always go back to is that Clemson game because it was a down year for Clemson offensively. Defensively, still every metric you look at around top 10, top 5 in the country. Pickett had a great game. Pickett had a great game against them, was able to manage the pressure that he was going to get from that Clemson front. Uh, threw up a couple touchdowns, including a bomb at the end of the first half to mm -hmm. really, you know, solidify Pitt's lead in that game. So that's the one that I look at from last year and say, what, what's he going to look like against the, an NFL-esque defense? And he, he checked that box there, and then obviously moving forward through the rest of the year, winning the ACC, he continued to check every box that he possibly could. You know, it's funny, you mentioned the, the four games as a freshman. 
he obviously is getting the Dan Marino comparisons like crazy. But it wasn't just this year. Like, I remember after he beat Miami, people in, around Pitt were getting that off the ground. Mm. And then the next three years were kind of like 12 touchdowns, six picks, 13 to nine, 13 to nine. Oh, that works as out for the touchdowns and interceptions. But I'm saying, like, that's nothing. Like, that's not good. And he kind of was just spinning his tires. And everybody was like, I can't believe people were calling him Dan Marino at one point. And then and he then breaks just, Dan Marino's record his senior out. year. And he, oh, my God. He, kinda, Watson's he is Clemson the next records. best quarterback since yeah. Dan Marino. 42-7 yeah. is his touchdown-to-interception ratio now. So I love the fact that he's developed. I love the fact that he's improved every year. And the biggest thing that I've talked about on the standard before, too, that I look at and, and am really encouraged by, completion percentage freshman year, 59. 58 sophomore year. Junior year, 61. 61 again his first senior year, the COVID year. Mm -hmm. That jumped six percentage points mm -hmm. to 67%. 67.2% completion percentage his senior year. It's the Ac accuracy, accuracy we were talking about. Accuracy is something that, like, you never really used to expect to get better. Like, people would always say, like, something if you're about not, Josh Allen when yeah, he came in the exactly. league, right? If you're not, if you're not accurate, accurate, you're, not, you're accurate. not accurate. But I think that guy that you just mentioned has kind of bucked that trend a little that bit. That was the biggest knock on him coming out of Wyoming in his first year with the Bills. He's never going to be accurate enough. And now he's one of the most accurate <laughs> quarterbacks, especially on the deep ball. Now, I don't know if, if there you, is a more accurate quarterback on the deep ball. If you threw everybody into the NFL in a pool, right, and you did like a Madden-style draft, he might be the first to go. Would probably still be Mahomes, but he I actually, might be the first to go. I actually am getting to take off the ground that he is better than Mahomes. I think he is the best quarterback in the, the NFL. Obviously, got to win a Super Bowl, but – Spoiler alert, I think they might check that box this mm. year, too. It's a pretty damn good team they I think have up we, in Buffalo. I think we'd be able to hear the celebrations from Buffalo all the way down here in <laughs> Pittsburgh if they did so. But, yeah, it's the improvement that is so encouraging and that he was able to take that leap and something just clicked in his second senior year. I I love the fact that his completion percentage improved more than the touchdowns exploding yeah, no, or that's, the interceptions that's staying at And seven. significant, like you said, 7%, 8% increase. That's significant. And you have to wonder, is that going to get even better? You know, better coaching now in the NFL, you know, better, you know, players around him. No offense, Pitt, but, I mean, these are all, these are all college sure, superstars sure. out here now. So, like, I have to wonder, is that going to climb even a little bit more? Not to say that if you have a 68% completion percentage in the NFL, I mean, that's damn good. That's, I'll take that every yeah, day of the week and twice on Sunday. Absolutely. But if he can get to that, if he can stay 67, if he can get 68, 69-ish as far as his completion percentage is concerned in the NFL, he's a starter. I mean, there's no question about it. That, that kind of accuracy and that kind of consistency, you can't not put that in your start. It's probably the most valuable commodity at the quarterback position in today's league is you have to be accurate. Because 100%. These offenses heard, are so good at, like, just the short stuff and the quick hitters, and, like, you have to put the ball in this exact window mm -hmm. because the receiver's not going to turn until the very last second, so it mm -hmm. better be where he thinks it's going to be or else it's going to be a really tough adjustment for him to make. I, I, I love the completion percentage improvement from him. I think that's a, a huge positive as he tries to get the starting job here in Pittsburgh. You know, you I'm, I'm glad you went that direction as well, too, because, you know, we've heard a lot – even ever since the bye week of last season, you know, when, when Mike Tomlin and Kevin Colbert started getting asked a lot about the future of the quarterback position, what do you look for? What are the traits that are at the top of your pecking order? Accuracy and mobility. That's what we heard from Mike Tomlin and Kevin Colbert over the last three months. Uh, you know, like I said, at times during the season, but then certainly throughout uh, the scouting combine and pro day process as well, too, every time that those guys uh, were doing media availability. Accuracy, mobility, accuracy, mobility. Kenny Pickett seems like a guy who fits that bill. 
Absolutely. And the mobility is not like, oh, you've got Lamar. He's not some other number eight in the division. You know, he's not going to be <laughs> running for 100 yards per game. But that's all right. You but don't he want can that. get out of the pocket if he needs to. He can get five, ten yards if he needs to. You, third you want and, the Mahomes ability. Third and 12 at Pitt when the defense is the selling Justin out to stop Herbert the pass. Ability. He runs for 15 yards up the middle and slides and gets an easy first down or fake slides and takes it all the way. <laughs> and takes it all the way into the end zone. So, like, and, and even though the fake slide, you know, whatever, you can have your opinion on it one way or the other. But, like, he showed speed on that play. Oh, like, he showed the ability showed to the get into the second the level away. and to get yeah. to the, the yeah. end zone and score that touchdown. His pocket presence, too, his senior year was just – it was phenomenal. And it's really an art to manipulate the pocket like that. I'll, I'll never forget the Virginia game where they had to win to, to win the Coastal. Winner of that game was going to end up winning the Coastal. I think Virginia had to take care of business the next week if they had won. But it was basically a de facto Coastal championship game, Pitt right versus Virginia. Right. I'll never forget this play – where he threw it to Jordan Addison, it was either for a touchdown or a big gain. But I think someone I think came, it was a touchdown. someone I know came free about. from the end, and Pickett looked the other way and waited until the very last second till that guy got to him, and then he ran out. He ran outside. I, he I waited till the, the guy the committed to the tackle. Right and this guy's like, I got a sack dead, and and he just slides his feet around and he moves to the pocket and he throws to Addison and that for put, a touchdown. Hit up two scores right and kind of put the game away, I believe. A normal quarterback sees that guy come free and immediately starts to get happy feet, tries to get out of there. And or probably, just throws it away. And he probably makes a move too early where the defender has a chance to adjust his route and, and still get the sack. Pickett waited and waited until he got to the point of no return, and then he bailed out of there. And you can't teach that kind of poise. You can't no. teach that kind of patience. And it's going to be that times ten in the NFL. I mean, it's not just some guy from Virginia rushing Smiles off Miles Garrett. Yeah, like it's going to be some big dudes. and. If you have the ability and the poise to sit there and kind of wait until they're completely committed and then bail out, mm-hmm. that goes a long way. And I mean, we've seen number seven do that for mm-hmm. the past two decades. Absolutely, particularly like the first you know dozen or so years of his career. Well, he even was so good at to that. be fair, number seven would even just let them kind of hit him and he, bounce yeah, off he'd just shrug like, him off. Yeah, yeah, yeah Pickett absolutely. ain't doing that. But his his <laughs> poise and his awareness, you know, I think that really adds to his mobility as well. I think that's well said by you. So, you know, we got to we got to do this thing too. If you were if you were a Vegas handicapper, all right? I'm not going to say if you were a gambling man because, you know, I think I think you might be. If you were a Vegas handicapper, where would you set the over under which week for when you think Pickett and I'm I'm going non-injury so like right obviously yeah if it's like week, it's not if it's week two against the Patriots and Miss Trubisky turns his ankle like that could change this but just all things considered health considered what would you set the over-under for, for the week number that we see? Is it week four? Is it the bye week nine? If I were to handicap it and set where I think it would happen, I would have to probably say the bye week, right? Because you got the two home games right after that bye week, New Orleans, Cincinnati. That yep. just You have a full half of your season for him to really develop and, and get up to speed with this kind of an offense. I think that that's probably where I would set it if I was a Vegas handicapper. Um, that week four game, like you mentioned, against the Jets, that's kind of attractive, too. Yep. You get a little long week after the Thursday night game. Uh, it's at home. I, I think starting at him home at home is a big deal as well. I think you want to do that. But I, I, it has to be after that bye week. If it's not week one, which I'm not ruling that yet. No, absolutely either. not. I, and I don't think you can, and you shouldn't, as, uh, as Kenny's dropping back and taking some reps right now. That is uh, certainly a possibility. That is, you know, like I, I said this to Moats on Tuesday selfishly okay and yeah. hey you host a show you produce a show you work in the business as well too selfishly 
I hope it's I hope it's a quarterback competition the entire season because it, it's just great content. It gives us plenty to talk about, and we haven't had that in Pittsburgh for 18 years. You know, since 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 Tommy Gunn was under center, I think was the last time we were debating, you know, who the starting quarterback should be. Um, but at the same time, as well, too, you know, that's just that's the that's the radio host side of me, right? Yeah. But from just the the Steelers fan and the Steelers perspective side, hey, if it's week one and Kenny's grabbed that job by the horns and it's his and he rolls with it. And yeah, there's some ups and downs and there's some growing pains, but you know, by the end of the season, we're all feeling great about the future. I mean, I'd take that too. Absolutely. And, and I think the other side of the coin here that we're not talking about is, yeah, we can speculate, oh, after the bye week, maybe before uh, week four against the Jets, like, what if Mitch is just playing well? And we mentioned that at the beginning of, of our could, first hour. Could go here. a lot like, of different ways. Yeah, like just because you know Pickett hasn't done anything wrong or his development is checking every box that the Steelers coaches want him to check, like you could be six and two heading into that bye week. Mm-hmm. You could be five, five and, and three. three. Like, yeah, you don't really want to put even if you're five hundred or even if you're just a game under five hundred. That's a really tough trigger to pull. Like, so I think it's it's not just oh Pickett. I mean, obviously he could come out and look like the next coming of Tom Brady, and then you have to start him. Sure, sure, sure. Spoiler alert, I don't think that that's going to quite happen here. So (laughs) I I think that, you know, it's not just a matter of is Pickett ready, is Pickett looking like he's NFL starter ready, is Mitch looking like he's ready to not be an NFL starter is also a part of that. Because now you asked me about about being a Vegas handicapper as far as when I think Pickett might start over under, you know, what week. If I had to handicap who I think is going to be the starter, I actually think I might lean towards Mitch right now. Okay. Like I, I think I might be I think I would towards too. him becoming I I would being the starter right yeah. now. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's the, I don't want to say safer approach, but that is, that just feels like the, the more likely outcome. You know, this is something Moats and I have talked about too. They signed, right, they signed Mitch Trubisky. I mean, free agency opened on a Monday, yeah. and that, oh, that, yeah. that deal was announced he five was one of the minutes first ones later. Signed, yeah. So that was clearly something that they had in the works, a guy that they had identified they that, they, that they wanted. I don't think that they were that gung-ho on him. And, again, I know they didn't splash crazy money or anything, but it, that was one of the first moves that was announced. on the, So they had been working on that behind the scenes. And, you know, there's that legal tampering period, obviously, for the week before. It was a priority to get him here is where I'm going with that. And so I think there's rhyme and reason to that as well, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I just feel like you said safest bet. If all things are equal, I think that kind of is an apt description because – at least you've seen him in the NFL before. You've seen him win, what was it, 12 games with the Bears one year before. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, the defense in the running game had a lot to do with that. But, hey, guess what? That's the kind of the formula here in Pittsburgh right now is defense in the running game. So, uh, as far as just, you know, that NFL experience, I think that goes a long way in this position battle. And, again, I don't – I know a lot of people are, like, in the, the, the camp of, oh, Pickett's 24, got to start him now, got to start him now, got to start him now. I'm more in the camp for that because of the rookie contract, to be honest with you. You want to start him as early as possible so you get the better, you know, money deal going and you can spread that money around the rest of your roster. Yeah. But I don't see a big deal if he sits this first season and he's 25 as a starter next year. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that that's too the egregiously the, I mean, late he could to start. Like, he could still start for 12, 13, 14 absolutely. years. Like, like, the way that these guys play now into, into their older age. Um but it's, it's certainly – I know we've, we've had these quarterback conversations a lot. Obviously, we're going to continue to do that. And I know, especially when we get to training camp, that's going to heat up big time because it's, one, it's the quarterback position, and, two, we haven't had that here in Pittsburgh for, for the better part of two decades. Wesley Euler, Tom Offerman, we're going to get to our last break of the 11 o'clock hour here. A reminder about 
Oh, quick math. About 23 minutes from now or so, we will Give have take. we will have uh, back-to-back player interviews. Miles Jack and Mason Cole will join us in the noon hour, so make sure you're hanging with us and not missing any of that. Tom and I are with you until 1 o'clock when we'll hand things off to Dale Lolly and Matt Williamson. You're listening to the Steelers Blitz on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Blitz here on SNR, OTAs, day number three, week number one. It's our final day of coverage here at the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex for this week, but two more weeks of OTAs. So nine shows total down here, nine days total down here in Mr. Rooney's backyard. This is our third of nine, so we've still got plenty more to go. Uh, a reminder, if you just joined us, if you missed it earlier, Miles Jack, Mesa Cole, two of the new Pittsburgh Steelers, will be sitting down with us about 20 minutes from now, uh, Miles Jack Tom is a guy that I am very intrigued to, to talk to. You know, yeah. you you and I, uh, I think we want to ask him about Coach Tomlin and the Steelers organization. Want to talk to him about that run defense and what he thinks That's he can do in that regard. Yeah, his partnership with Devin Bush, working with uh, Terrell Austin and Brian Flores, all these different things. So we'll have a good conversation with him. I uh, I am I'm very interested to see how that tandem works, and I'm honestly, even more so what it means for Devin Bush because. You know, last year, I know we all had high hopes for Joe Schobert, and that obviously didn't work out the way that I think anybody wanted it to. Um, but there's also some rhyme or reason to that in the sense of, you know, Joe Schobert joined the team late in the process, late in training camp. Preseason had already begun, and all of a sudden you're asking him to kind of hop on that moving train and to be the quarterback of that defense and just, just a lot of responsibility at the same time with no Alu-Alu in front of him, no Tua in front of him, right? Jerry Oslavsky, the, the position coach, misses some time because his wife unexpectedly passes away. Right. There was just there was a lot of, of uphill climbs there in that regard last season. And I know, hey, you got to control what you could control, and, and, you know, but there is also rhyme or reason. I don't think those are excuses. Those are legitimate roadblocks that, that hindered that progress last year. This time for Miles Jack, there's none of that. He's going to get OTAs. He's going to get minicamp. He's going to get full training camp. Time to work through all of this with his teammates, with his coaching staff. For me, you know, Tom, there's kind of been, you know, ever since obviously the, the tragic injury to Ryan Shazier, there's been a little bit of a revolving can't door. Can't figure it out. They can't that, figure out the I spot. mean, John Bostick yep. and Mark Barron and, and the lists go on and on and on. Man, it, it feels like Miles Jack has to be that guy, is poised to be that guy to finally turn that around back in the right direction. Well, maybe not exactly him being that guy. Well, sure, guy, not but just the, him, but the, yeah. the tandem of him and Devin Bush might be their best tandem of inside linebackers since the tragic injury happened to Ryan Chizier. I think you do get that vibe. And you, know, you were talking about Joe Schobert, and yeah, you're right. It was, it was a little tough for him, uphill battle coming in late as a signing and, and you know, kind of having to pick things up on the fly real quickly. Miles mm-hmm. Jack doesn't have that. He's got this full training camp. But, you know, I, I know Schobert's got the Pro Bowl to his name, and, you know, he was probably the best player on a really crappy Cleveland defense before the Browns, you know, yeah. started to write their right. ship. Right. But I would say that Miles Jack is just a much better player as far as just the eye test is concerned when it comes to the two compared to each other. So, like, yeah. I just automatically think you're getting an upgrade, no, no matter what. E- even despite the fact that he's going to have the whole uh, OTA mini camp, mm-hmm. training camp experience. Like even if he was signed at the same exact time as Joe Schobert last year, I'd still have more confidence in this kid. I think he's he's younger, first of all, and I think he's got a lot more potential than Joe Schobert ever did. I think he's more athletic than Joe Schobert mm-hmm. was. 
I, I think that this is a definite upgrade pretty much no matter what way you end up looking at it. And I'm also interested to ask him about, you know, Brian Flores. Because Absolutely. You, you, I've seen some quotes from him saying, you know, that was one of the main reasons why I chose to come to Pittsburgh is to get to work with a guy like Brian Flores. He, he even, I, I believe the quote that he used in one of his stories was it's like stealing money. Hmm. Is that you get to work with such a, a great coach like that. So not just Tomlin and his influence in bringing him in, but really interested to see, you know, Brian Flores, why he came here because of him, and, and just, you know, getting to work with the guy for the past couple of days now. Really starting to, you know, get into it. You know, I'm sure they've had, you know, Zoom meetings or they've talked on the phone, but now, now you get to this legitimately the, the roll up your sleeves and get yeah. get to developing this uh, this defense here. Yeah, and, and obviously we know that this is the, the starting process for that, the, the verbiage, the signals, the communication, all that stuff, learning. I mean, Kenny Pickett was talking about just learning his, his teammates' names, right? I mean, that is there, – there's, there's change for those guys, certainly, and then this is where it all began. Now, I have begins. heard that as far as, you know, is he going to be a green dot guy, mm. I've heard that in Jacksonville, not the best when it comes to that kind of stuff. That has been and the report. Devin Bush is not the best one that comes to that kind of stuff here either. Mm. So Well, they're going to need one of those guys to emerge. I think the green dot thing is always overblown a little bit, and I think it you know gets a little too much play maybe year to year. But I do think it is a little bit of a factor. You, you want to have that quarterback of the defense out there. And yes. Haven't been able to find out who that's going to be yet. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it can't and be like Watt because he's not on the it, field all it can, the time. It, like. it, it's got, it's got to be. You know, it's it's funny. Moats does a good job of breaking this down, like how it's just got to be one of your off-ball linebackers because you've got to communicate to every inch of that defense. So if you're T.J. Watt and you're standing on one side of the ball, how are you going to tell the how are you going to tell the corner on the other side of the field what the call Whereas is? Whereas Bush can kind of walk back and forth, shout it out. If it's if it's Cam Hayward, how's he supposed to yell back to Minka Fitzpatrick? His, what the mouth's in the what ground? The, what the, sounds not even going to go up. What, what the call is um so so yeah you hey listen we all know you know communication on the defense it's one of those things that you forget about until henry ruggs is running past you down the field to score a 60 yard touchdown to, no put the, to put the game away for the raiders um but again i think last year in the the back and forth with bush and showbert and showbert not having the full offseason programs to get up to speed those guys having a lot of injuries in front of them on the defensive line which never helps linebackers like i said an unfortunate tragedy with jerry o as well too their position coach missing some time i'll say this tom this year those like i said you can call them excuses i think they're legitimate reasons but that's not going to be here this year you know like no like, you you have you've got to find a way to make it work. You know, it's one thing to have the year last year where you had so much working against you, but I think I think those are excuses are going to be out the, the window. It, it's it's time for results, particularly from the interior of that defense. And uh, let's just look at the depth at that position. You know, behind Bush and Jack, do they really have anything? I, I mean, Spillane, Spillane you know is a really is. solid backup. I you guess, know what he is, but like. He's the number one for McDonald's, I right? Get, you know I, what you're going to get I everywhere. I guess, yeah, but I just I, I get there's a lot of spots on this this roster where I look at the starters and I'm really comfortable, and then I look at the guys who would have to potentially fill in for them if something were to happen, yeah. and I get real nervous real fast. And I feel like inside linebacker, like you said, with Spillane there as the number three might be not at the top of the totem pole mm -hmm. when it comes to that, but I mean, I'm looking at the depth chart right now, and obviously this is just a guess right now. There's no real depth chart. But Marcus Allen sliding in as the second yeah, guy. Yeah. UG3, who's always around. For, always around. Who was the, the defensive lineman that always made the team until he finally got Isaiah, uh, uh, no. Uh, um, Daniel. Uh, Dan McCullers. McCullers. Yep. Kind of feels like we're getting there with UG3, right? Just on scholarship like, every I've year. I've never like, seen the guy ever really contribute outside of special teams. 
and then he still finds his way as the number four, number five linebacker on the team. So uh, maybe Buddy Johnson, you know, emerges. You maybe. know, he, he was starting to get a little bit of playing time towards the end of last year, and then unfortunately got injured. Mm -hmm. Feels too early for Mark Robinson. I mean, a rookie yeah, seventh yeah, round yeah. pick. He might not even make the team. To you, be honest, you or you hope that he has you know significant special teams contributions would be would be nice a nice rookie year for him. But yeah, you know, Buddy Johnson is an intriguing one to me because obviously you know you mentioned that the SEC defenses thing earlier when we were talking about Kenny Pickett and some of the you know some of the competition you were saying he played against. Buddy Johnson, I mean, for three years was was an, a Texas A&M, you know, part of that defense, a starter for three years, was the captain his final year. And he also was one of those guys, too, Tom, who, you know, it's funny, you and I, we both do shows with Tom Bradley. And Tom Bradley, you know, former Penn State defensive coordinator forever, uh, was with the Steelers, was with UCLA, was with WVU as well, too, a, a well-respected right. football guy. He said to me one time, I can't remember what we were doing shows for, but it, I think it was around like maybe last draft, like what would have been the 2021 NFL draft. He was talking about when I would go recruit kids at Penn State, the number one thing that I was looking for in, in defenders, other than the defensive linemen, right, obviously other than the jumbos out there, was how many of these guys play quarterback as well, too, in high school? Yeah. Because he said that is – How many is, think the game like a quarterback? He said if you're a linebacker, if you're a defensive back, and you played quarterback in high school, you know, for two, three years at a, at a high level – um, that just helps your knowledge on the other side so much and helps your ability to get up to speed on the other side so much. Buddy Johnson, when he was coming out of high school, he had to decide. He had some huge offers, like some SEC Power 5 offers to play linebacker. He also had schools like Tulsa, you know, and some smaller schools that were offering him to play quarterback as well, too. That's usually how it ends up, too. And and so he... Where it's like a drop-off between the quarterback versus the schools you're going to linebacker for. Three-year starter in an SEC school, captain his senior year, really prolific quarterback in high school. You know he's got the athleticism in the mind as well, too. He's the wild card in this equation for me. Buddy Johnson really is. If, if any of these guys are going to emerge and come out of here and wow us, it, I think it obviously has to be him. I would not hate if he surplants Robert Spillane at one point this year as your number three. I, I think that that would be, That'd be phenomenal, a good problem to have. phenomenal and then, progress and then for him. Spillane's a great number four all of a sudden. All of a sudden, yeah, you have that trickle down. So interested to see what Buddy can kind of bring to the table here in his second season. Only 23 years old. I mean, I and, and again, he was a round four pick. So it's not like it's not like he was a like he was rounder. an amazing pick, like right. a first rounder. But it's not exactly like you know, you pick a guy in the fourth round, you expect him to make the team. You expect, you know, him, to, you you expect him to be there for three, four years on his rookie deal. So it starts, I guess, with special teams. Played a little bit of that last okay. year, and like I said, he was starting to see himself get into the defense a little bit more until he got hurt towards mm -hmm. the end of last season. So I'm interested to see what kind of training camp Buddy has and. Like I said, the depth chart doesn't really matter right now. Him being behind Spillane and Allen, I think he might jump in front of at least Allen if he has a, a, a training camp that that's, we all expect him to have. That's the ideal scenario. To have uh, your, your second unit, your second line, if you will, Johnson and Spillane. Johnson and Spillane. And then all of a sudden, you... You might still be, you know, depending on what happens with Miles Jack, depending on what happens with Devin Bush, you might still be looking for that high-end, you know, clear-cut number one guy who never leaves the field, but you would feel much better about your depth. I mean, there were times last year, particularly when Bush and Schobert were banged up, I mean, Buddy Johnson and Marcus Allen both played significant snaps yeah. in that game against the Vikings. You know, I think you would, you would feel much better this time around if – You've got Bush and Jack as your first tandem, and then Spillane, again, you know what? He's the McDonald's number one. You know what you're getting from him every single week, every single city. It doesn't matter. And then Buddy Johnson is maybe the young guy with some some upside there. Then all of a sudden you'd be feeling better about the middle of your defense. You know, you and I, we talked a lot about the run game. We talked a lot about the defense. 
you know, Mike Tomlin always talks about if you can't play fast in the middle of the field on your defense, you can't play fast. They've, you know, with, with guys like Miles Jack and Devin Bush and, and, a, and a really good athlete and Buddy Johnson, they would be, you know, they'd be checking that box as well too. Let's stick with the linebackers. Let's look at the outside real quick. Okay. Obviously, T.J. Watt, defensive player of the He's year. He's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Is tied Michael Strahan's sack record. Hey, he might break the sack record this year. Very I wouldn't well be could. surprised if he gives that another run. On the other side, though, number 56, the Robin to his Batman. Yeah. Need more from him, right? You need this to have to a big-time breakout year from him. And he's shown flashes in the past. Uh, injuries have obviously, you know, not kept him out long-term, but he's missed a week here or there. It's time to show more than just flashes, though. You know, year three, and you've got an all-world caliber player on the other side of you. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be seeing many double teams at all. They've got so many other people that they have to worry about. Right, two, it's right. back. It's two, it's Hayward. It's, it's, it's Watt. I mean, you're just number four on that list of, of guys that the offense is, is thinking about. You have to start taking advantage of these single teams. You have to start putting up eight, nine sack seasons. Yes, you do. I think that's a great call by you, and you know that to kind of because there's um, no one else really. There, there's not. Him. No, the, like, Jannard Avery wanna, ain't going to take over for him. You want to talk about a position where you feel good about the starters, but you're really concerned about the depth. I mean, that's. I mean, right now it. it's Jannard Avery and Derek Tuska. Like, and we mentioned how you know again this this roster's not done being constructed. Maybe that's another position where where we could see someone added as well too. But I think you're right. We know we know Alex Highsmith can play. Right, like he, he belongs on an yeah, N- yeah. He he's belongs, an NFL player. He belongs on an NFL sideline on Sundays. Is he a number two or a number three? And though I think that's the question. Exactly, and you know what? We were having this conversation on Tuesday with Chris Carter, talking about how you know you always are needing that next generation of leadership to emerge. Right, no you, question. You've you, you've got you've got obviously Cam Hayward, the veteran. You've got T.J. Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick. They aren't necessarily always the most vocal guys, but they lead by example and with their work ethic. I bet T.J. gets a little more vocal now. I think so as well too. But Alex Highsmith to me feels like a guy that could emerge in that regard too, because he just he was the guy Maybe. at Charlotte for so long. He's 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 shown that pension for being emotional and fiery, and that's where I come down. You know, you could have that perfect balance of, you know, let's see here, Joey Porter, right? Yeah, and someone like Larry Foote. I mean, you know what I mean? That that just that balance of. Both leaders in their own way, but one does it more with their actions, and the other can be that galvanizing, fiery guy. I think Alex Highsmith could grow into that role a little bit as well, too. I don't, I don't disagree with you, but I, I, he's got to grow into the role of of playmaker first, of playing ninety percent of the snaps, yeah, playing and, yeah. and producing close to double digit sacks. I think before we even you cross the bridge of him being a leader. You're right, though. You you can be a leader more than one way. It doesn't always have to be on the field, but you know we aren't talking about a number three outside linebacker who is a locker room glue guy. We're talking about the Robin to T.J. Watts Batman. You, you need to literally get towards eight, nine sacks. you gotta, got to start looking a little bit more like Bud Dupree was. You know, Not exact, to say exact, that you are Bud right, Dupree, because right. Bud Dupree is a but lot that, better that, than you are, no vein. offense. Uh, yeah. like, he's a physical specimen, played in he was SEC a first round school draft pick exactly. for a reason. Yeah. Like, but start to you know put up some of those support numbers like Bud used to seven eight TJ. nine yes yeah. that's that's all I'm asking for him and then and then you're right maybe you could see him kind of grow into that leadership role but you know since we're talking about new leaders you mentioned Hayward's obviously the captain now I mean there's Correct. no question about Correct. that yeah. with Ben now stepping away Correct but, you know you talk about the Minkas you talk about the TJ Watts offensively man. I think Najee's going to be a Me too. legitimate. Me like, too. Not him just and, him and by Friar example. Ruth, I think, think he's going to be a barker. Like he is going to be vocally yes after these guys, especially because like 
he's you can he, see him growing into that role already. Right, and like the quarterback in front of him, like Trubisky is older than him, but like not as established right. as he is already in right. the NFL. And then he's older than Pickett, maybe not age wise, but you know, veteran experience. It, it is in the crazy. NFL. Yeah. You're older yeah. than him, so. Yeah. Like, I see Najee really, maybe as early as this year, taking that next step into being a captain kind of player. You know, we talk about the defense. The defense is in good shape. Cam Hayward, TJ Watt, Mika Fitzpatrick, maybe some other guys offense who are, who needs are, who are poised. The offense offense needs, needs those. You know, the days of Heinz Ward and Heath Miller and, and Marquise Pouncey and Ben Roethlisberger, those days are gone. Uh, you've got to have guys filling into those roles. I think you're right. You would like to see one of the quarterbacks emerge as that guy. But and that's I think, too tough to do. I think rookie. Pickett has that in him, but it's it's tough to do that as a rookie. Um, Najee seems like a prime candidate. Pat Fryermuth seems like a prime candidate as well, too. And you know what? Maybe one of these guys that, you know, we talked to James Daniels yesterday. He was very vocal. We're going to talk to Mason Cole. Maybe one of these newcomers on the offensive line, too, to bring some of that nastiness in the trenches. Final uh, huddle up for the team, which means they are almost done with practice. They're wrapping up practice right now. We'll be joined by Miles Jack and Mason Cole in the next hour of the show. He's Tom Offerman. I'm Wesley Euler. One more hour to go here on The Blitz on SNR.